Today's scripture is from Mark 12, 41 to 44. This is the widow's offering. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Then he sat down opposite the offering box and watched the crowd putting coins into it. Many rich people were throwing in large amounts, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. He called his disciples and said to them, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the offering box than all the others. For they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in what she had to live on, everything she had. Thank you. Peter, thank you for doing our reading. Will you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for the message this morning? Lord, it's possible for the impossible to take place in our hearts. It's possible, Lord, for it to be well with our souls, though we're surrounded by conflict, difficulty, challenges, disappointment, and worry, because we're also surrounded by you. That you take what the enemy throws at us for evil, and you can bring about good. And Lord, we want to cooperate with you today. That you might fulfill your purposes in our heart, in our lives, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, as we've already sung, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit, not just in our midst, but in our hearts. That he might fill us, that we might hear well and obey well and live well. May the Holy Spirit fill me that I might speak words of truth. And Lord, we're mindful of those who are with us today around the world worshiping you and ask your blessing on them as well. We think of our brothers and sisters in countries where they cannot gather like this or where gathering like this may cost them their lives and some have lost their lives and lost loved ones while worshiping you. Lord, may they be strengthened, may they be encouraged, may they have hope, may they be blessed. And Lord, when we're called to it, may we die well for the glory of Christ. Bless those who are listening online today, Lord, and we ask you to minister to their hearts and minds, wherever they might be, whether deployed or sick or away or serving you, or for some other reason they're not with us today, may they be with us through your Spirit. Lord, we ask these things in the name which is above every name, and that is the name of Jesus. Amen. They say that money talks. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, in Hawaii, it says, aloha. <laughs> money is one of the most powerful tools we have available to us, for both good and bad. And I emphasize the word tool. It's a tool. It's something to use. And there's an often misquoted saying that goes like this. Money is the root of all evil. And Christians quote it, non-Christians quote it, they think it's in the Bible, and it's not in the Bible. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. Now, there is a verse that sounds similar to that, but that is wrong. That's not true. Money is not the root of all evil. It's just a tool. It's not good, it's not bad. It's a tool for good or for bad. And that's why in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, we are told that it is the love of money, 
not money. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And we saw last week that it's our attitude about money that's key, not the amount. And loving money, having an attitude of lusting for it, is the problem that leads to ruin in life. Money is not the problem. Your attitude and my attitude toward money is a problem. And that's important to know the difference. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. We are in our third week of looking at six indicators of your health. And as we saw that your health isn't just your spiritual health. I mean, that affects all of you. And so the things we're talking about do affect your spiritual health, but they affect your whole being. And you have an outline there in your bulletin, and there's also one available online on the PDF icon if you click that. And the first indicator of your health that we looked at, Roman numeral one, is how you use your time. How you use your time. And that's a great indicator of how healthy or unhealthy you are. And we saw when we studied this that the amount of time you have is a constant. It never changes. God decreed that you'd get 24 hours a day. That's all you're ever going to get. And that's why when you say something or I say something like, I need more time, we are being dishonest. You are never going to get more time. You have 24 hours a day every day of your life until your last day. And, of course, that will be a little shorter for you. So the problem isn't how much time you have. The problem is always how you use your time. Now, if you look up time management principles, they're going to tell you that the best use of time is to be effective, efficient, and productive. And I like that. I like being effective, efficient, and productive. The danger is if you use that to measure your time, you might be using your time unwisely and not the way God wants you to use your time. God tells us the way we're supposed to use our time in Ephesians 5, 16 to 18 is that we are to be filled with the Spirit, making the most of your time by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, your use of time is wasted. No matter how much you produce, if you're not doing it in the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, no matter how effective and efficient you are, that is wasted time. And sometimes... The best thing you can do is take a spirit-filled nap or spirit-filled just hang out with somebody because if you're spirit-filled, you're making the best use of your time. It's about purpose, not productivity. We saw when we talked about time. Well, last week, we started talking about a second way to measure your health, and it's how you use your money. And we were looking at four subpoints to that, and we only got to one of them last week, so we're going to finish that up today. But Roman numeral two on your outline, how you use your money is an indicator of how healthy or unhealthy you might be. And there's a foundational principle that we get from the Lord Jesus Christ who preached in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 21. And he gives us a foundational principle. He says, where your treasure is... There will be your heart also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And that word treasure in the context refers to material things because he says those are things that can be stolen or can be corrupted by the environment. And that certainly includes money. During the financial 
downturn and crisis of 2008 and 2009, a, a friend of mine decided that she needed to rescue her money, and she got $3,000 in $100 bills, put them in a jar, screwed the lid on, and buried it in her backyard, just in case the banks went bust. Well, she forgot about it, and some years later, she goes, oh, yeah, where's that $3,000? So she got in the backyard and dug up the jar, pulled it out. It now was a jar filled with green and black mulch made out of $100 bills. And as she tried to look at it, every once in a while, you'd see a little piece that said 100 on it. And that didn't bother her at all. Not. She was devastated because where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So our foundational principle that we learned last week is your heart and your money are inseparable. Your heart and your money are inseparable. Well, my friend decided that she would send this $100 mulch to the United States Department of Treasury. They apparently have a method of going through mulch and figuring out how much it was worth. And so she sent this jar of money to them, and they did their magic, and they sent her a check for what had been in the jar. Apparently, their method isn't very precise because she made money on the deal. And she was ecstatic. Why? Because your heart and your money are inseparable. One will always follow the other. You may initially not have a heart for a certain cause, but because you like the person or because you feel guilty or because you were coerced or something, you might give to something. Well, once you give to it, all of a sudden you care about it and you want to know what's going on. Now, this seems like a good time to have a commercial and to speak about the church's finances. They're great! Phew! <laughs> you, you have been very generous. You're a generous church. You're faithful in your giving. And when you give to KCC, it's an act of worship when you put money in the offering bag. But where does it go? Well, the issue isn't just where it goes. The issue is, what's your heart when you put it in? We heard the story of, of the widow... She was giving to a corrupt religious system, the temple. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, he gave to the wrong place. He looked at her heart, and he rewarded her for her heart. When you give, it's no strings attached. It's you give. Now, you want, it, you want to do your best to give where it's going to be used well, but the key is your heart when you give. Well, I want you to know that we are good managers. We're excellent managers of your money. You put money in that offering bag, and it does a lot more than pay the bills. In fact, we don't have a lot of bills because with wise management, we have paid off all these facilities that we have. We have no mortgage. We have zero debt. None of the money you give goes to a mortgage. We have solar panels on all our buildings. So instead of paying high electricity... We get it from the sun. So your money primarily goes for ministry. You pay for ministers, and that's the best use of your money, ministers who then minister, and some of them are local, some of them are global. And you give to this church, and do you know you're helping homeless people come to know the Lord and getting a trade down in Honolulu? Because when you put your money in the offering bag, you're supporting River of Life, Christian organization. When you put money in that offering bag, you're helping young ladies 
with crisis pregnancies making the right decision because we support the Aloha Pregnancy Center. When you give money to this church, you are helping to win grad students for Christ at UH and run Bible studies for professors at the University of Hawaii because you support our workers that do that. You support workers in Uganda. You support people from our church that are in Japan. You support people in our church that are dealing with people who have come out of um, the sex trade and things like that in Costa Rica. You are helping refugees and immigrants who are fleeing from Muslim countries where they're persecuted, coming to Europe, and they're able to hear the gospel for the first time, and they're desperate and you've given large chunks of money to make that happen. We presently have someone somewhere, I have to be vague, who is in the process of working toward translating the Bible into the most closed, for the most closed Muslim country in the entire world. And he used to attend this church as a boy. There's no picture of him with me, with my arms around him. But <laughs> he was a little boy, he attended this church. And you're supporting that. It's amazing what happens when you put money in that little offering bag. And that's just a snapshot. And then some of you also give money to our Great Commission Fund, which is not our budget, but it supports our missionaries, 700 of them around the world with our denomination. And according to our, the records at the national office, they said, wow, you gave $129,000 toward that. Yeah, our goal was 100000 and two years ago we were just trying to hit 50000 and you gave 129000 toward that. You are generous. And... When I add it up, you have given away, this church has given away, we don't keep it, you have given away over a quarter, or approximately a quarter million dollars this year to help other people. So thank you. But it's not about amount, even though I'm mentioning numbers, and if you really like numbers, come tonight for what we're calling our annual ministry gathering hoopla. That just sounds better than annual meeting. And the ten of you who come are really going to be blessed. <laughs> We're going to do some ministry highlights, give you some wins, and we'll give you some numbers too, and we'll do some voting. Well, last week we looked at the first of four signs of an unhealthy heart. And that first sign of an unhealthy heart, number one on your outline there, is amount is more important to you than attitude. You get so caught up in amount and that's what Jesus was talking about with the widow. You know, I mean, she gave more than people who gave a bigger amount because of her attitude. Writing to the poor in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, you poor people, the people that only have food, clothing, and shelter, you ought to be content. You ought to have a good attitude. Writing to the wealthy who are rich. Remember, we saw who are the rich? We're the rich. We tend to think the rich are the people who make more than us. But we are the rich because we have a tap and we turn it on and clean water comes out. We're rich. He says to the rich, you need to have a good attitude. You need to be generous and ready to share. He doesn't criticize them for having a larger amount than the poor. It's not about amount. It's about attitude. And it's our attitude about money that you and I should constantly be evaluating. So now we come to something new. Number two, the second sign of an unhealthy heart in relationship to money. Number two on your outline there, hoarding replaces sharing. Hoarding replaces sharing. 
And once again, we find Jesus speaking to this issue in a parable in Luke chapter 12, if you'd like to turn there. In Luke 12, Jesus tells the story of a man who is so rich that he can't handle his life. He's got more than he can store. And so what does he decide to do? He decides to hoard and build bigger barns so he can hoard more money instead of sharing with other people. Look what it says in this scathing parable about greed and hoarding in Luke 12. Jesus tells it because there's a man who wanted his brother to share inheritance with him, and he scolds them from being greedy, and then he tells his parable beginning in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You are not what you own. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself. Notice that. He's reasoning with himself. That's where he's getting his financial advice. I'm told, man, if you want to make an investment and it doesn't pass the wife test, you probably shouldn't make it. Begin reasoning to himself, not asking anybody else their advice. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And notice all the first-person pronouns. I do since I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I I will say to my soul, now he's talking to himself. That's not always healthy. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. Retire and live the good life. But, but changes everything. He wasn't expecting that he was going to die the next day. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is a man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He was a hoarder. His land was very productive. But why was it productive? God made it productive. He doesn't get credit for being rich. We saw in 1 Timothy 6 that the rich are not to be conceited about their riches. That's the wrong attitude. It's not about you when you're rich. But he made it about him. He was greedy. And the antidote to greed, if you find yourself being greedy, is to give. When you give, you can't be greedy. And when you're greedy, you don't give. When the children in Africa get a candy bar, they say ours. And they break it into as many pieces as there are children around them. When we as Americans get something, we tend to say, mine. Just like this man said, it's my goods. The man asked the right question, what shall I do with all my wealth? But he didn't look to God for advice. He looked to himself. And in verse 18, he decided he would store it. He would hoard it instead of share it. One of the important truths about sharing is it's not dependent on how much you have. 
Poor people are to share just as much as rich people are to share. And Jesus made that clear in the story, the true story, about the widow who had two pennies to her name. She could have kept one of them for herself, I guess, and still given half of everything she owned. She gave everything she owned to the Lord. She was generous, and Jesus said she was more generous than even the rich. Both greed and generosity are a matter of the heart, a matter of attitude. And when hoarding replaces sharing, you have an unhealthy heart. Now, keep in mind, God is not opposed to savings. He's not opposed to you have money in the bank and having investments. There's a distinction between savings and hoarding. Savings is delayed spending. It has a purpose. You're saving toward your retirement. You're saving to buy the car. You're saving to pay for your child's education. That's okay. You're saving in case there's an emergency. It has a purpose. But hoarding is amassing wealth just for the sake of having it and putting your trust in it and lusting after it. You just want more, so you hoard. You don't share. Hoarding is a result of greed. Savings is a result of wise financial management. Hoarding looks to self for financial guidance. Savings looks to the Lord for financial guidance. And he might tell you to save. R.J. Letourneau was extremely wealthy. I don't know if he was a billionaire, probably. He was born in 1888 in Vermont. And his mother, when she described him, she said he was a restless, inquisitive, energetic, determined, and ambitious boy. But his brothers were less biased, and they described him this way. Destructive, willful, willful, stubborn, and fanatically determined to amount to nothing. Letourneau dropped out of school when he was 14 years old. He got a job in Portland, Oregon, shoveling sand and dirt at a factory. And as he's shoveling their dirt as a 14-year-old, he's thinking, there's got to be a better way to move earth. He was rebellious growing up, but he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior, as a youth. And he became largely responsible for the invention and development of most of the earth-moving machines that are in use today. He's considered the world's greatest inventor of earth-moving equipment and has over 300 patents in his name. For many years, Letourneau lived on only 10% of his income and he gave away 90% of his income because he was so wealthy. And even when his business had its fluctuations and even when there was financial jeopardy, he still kept his pledges to give to the Lord. And he told people, the question is not how much of my money I give to the Lord. The question is how much of the Lord's money I keep for myself. During a period of temporary but significant financial loss, a friend asked Letourneau if he regretted all the money he had given away. And he said, remember, I didn't lose a penny of what I gave away. I only lost what I kept for myself. And that's true of all of us. 
When you die, everything you've kept for yourself is lost for all eternity to you. Which brings us to a third sign of an unhealthy heart. Third sign of an unhealthy heart, number three, investing in the temporal with no thought of the eternal. Investing in the temporal with no thought of the eternal. The rich man in Jesus' parable failed to think about eternity. He could only see as far as retirement. And that's temporary. And Jesus said, tonight your life is required for you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is a man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. He failed to invest for eternity and he's called a fool. Letourneau, on the other hand, invested his great wealth with eternity in mind. What about you? Every dollar you have, you ought to think how it affects eternity. A a sound investment is not just one that creates a bigger portfolio for you. A sound investment is one that brings eternal benefit. If it doesn't bring eternal benefit, it's not a very sound investment. A healthy heart invests in the temporal with the eternal in mind. Perhaps one of the keys to gaining the proper view of your money, your treasures, is to remind yourself what the Bible says, that you are merely a steward of God's possessions. Job put it well. In Job 1, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. You came to the world with nothing, and when you leave, you leave everything behind. (laughs) You are a steward, I am a steward. And we need to ask the Lord how he wants us to use his money. When my mom was in her late 80s, she called me one day to ask me some financial advice. My dad had long since passed away, and I was, I am her son, and also her trustee of her account. So she wants some financial advice. So she called me from the mainland and she said, our church is building a new building and I want to give a large sum of money for this church building project. But she said, I I wonder if maybe instead of giving it while I'm alive, if I should just put it in my will and then they get it after I die. That way, if for some reason I need the money or something happens, you know, um, takes place after I die. Well, I gave her some pastoral advice. I said, Mom, once you're dead, it's not your money anymore. Once you're dead, it's not generous to give. It's not even sacrificial to give once you're dead. It's not yours. It's only yours to be a steward of while you're alive. If you want eternal benefit from your money, you have to give it away while you're alive. You don't get any points for leaving all your money to this church after you're dead. Now, we benefit from it, but you're dead. How sacrificial is that? So my mom decided that she would give a large chunk of her money to her church while she was still alive, and that increased her heavenly rewards. And it decreased my earthly inheritance. And I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. Because investing in the temporal 
It's temporal. <laughs> and that's a sign of an unhealthy heart if you do it without thought of the eternal. Okay, three signs so far. We go into the fourth. First one, amount is more important to you than attitude. That's wrong. Unhealthy heart. Hoarding replaces sharing. That's a sign of an unhealthy heart. Investing in the temporal with no thought of the eternal. That's a sign of an unhealthy heart. Fourthly and lastly, number four. Sign of an unhealthy heart. Money is more important to you than relationships. Money is more important to you than relationships. When a friend says to another friend, hey, it's just business, he's right and he's wrong. He's right, it's just business, and he's wrong for valuing money over the relationship. If you're trying to witness to a waitress or a waiter, and you don't give them 20% tip, what have you just done to that relationship? I'm sorry. We Christians have a reputation for being poor tippers. Money affects relationships. And when it becomes more important than a relationship, you have an unhealthy heart. If you're always trying to squeeze the deal from somebody, even though they're a business person or this, that, or other thing, it's hurting relationships that you're making money more. People have to make money. People have to make a living. They have to pay their mortgages too or send their kids to school too or, or feed their family too. There is no more shocking example of this, of money being more important than relationships. No more shocking example of this in all of life than the one recorded for us in Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Mark 14, 10 and 11. In Mark 14, verse 10, it starts off this way, And Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, one of Jesus' best friends, went off to the chief priests in order to portray Jesus to them. And they were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And they began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Money was more important to Judas than his relationship with Jesus Christ. They were friends. Jesus even called Judas friend in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And Jesus called him friend. For Judas, it was all business. 30 pieces of silver. Friendship be damned. And Judas would be. For Judas, business trumped friendship. Money was more important than the relationship. Friends, money is not eternal. The only thing you have eternal are your relationships with other people and with God. Within weeks of my 2012 heart attack that I told you about as we started this series, I sold my dirt bike. That was my passion. Almost every weekend on Saturday, I go riding with, with my close friends and go up to Kahuku North Shore. I've been doing that consistently for over 13 years. But I sold my dirt bike because the doctor put me on blood thinners, and riding dirt bikes offers a lot of opportunities for bumping, bruising, and broken bones. And I'd had all those, and so had all my friends. And I realized that 
I didn't want to bleed out in Kahuku and my friends would have to drag my body out. That didn't seem like a good thing to do as a friend. So I sold my dirt bike. Now, I had taken the engine out and had it rebuilt and made better and more powerful. I'd added all kinds of little extra things and, you know, made it the best. And my friend Alika, who rode with us, said he wanted to buy it. And when I told him the price, he goes, wow, that is really a good deal. Oh, yeah, we're friends. He bought it. Little did I know, not long after that, Alika would be diagnosed with terminal liver cancer. Given about six to nine months to live, and I think he made it to six months. One day he called me on the phone. Alika wasn't a Christian, not a churchgoer. He called me on the phone. He said, Perry, I have a lot of questions. Can I come talk to you? I said, sure, meet me in my office. Lika came into my office and we sat next to each other. I said, Lika, I know you have a lot of questions, but do you mind if I just cut to the chase and give you the answer? <laughs> he didn't have much time left. <laughs> he said, no, please do. I shared the gospel with him and Lika in my office prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. He then asked if he could meet with me and I met with him every single Thursday morning until he died except for occasional Thursday where he was too bloated from treatment and cancer to meet with me. We studied the Bible. He grew like a weed in that short amount of time. The day he died, his wife called me. I went up to the castle. There he was. He was dying. Prayed for him. He's now with the Lord. And I think if I had made money more important than friendships, none of that would have happened. If I had told Alika, hey, no, you got to pay, I put a lot of money in this bike, you got to pay that, I'm not sure he ever would have come to me and asked to know about Jesus Christ. Friends, if money is more important to you than relationships, you need to do something about it because that is unhealthy. So I close by asking you, how are you using your money? It's a sign of your health. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads so you can have a private moment. With our heads bowed, you might be here like my friend Alika and you don't know Jesus and you need someone to tell you about Jesus and you need to receive Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to have a heart transplant today right here in this room. If you yield your heart to Jesus... If you believe he died for your sins, he rose from the grave, he conquered death, he wants to give you eternal life, he only wants what's best for you. If you recognize that and want a heart transplant, if you want him in your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, save me. And he'll come in and he will. Yield your heart to him. Christian Holy Spirit, we had prayed for him to teach us, he taught us. Now it's our time to respond. So in this moment of prayer, would you just take a moment to quietly reflect on what the Holy Spirit taught you and is saying to you? And if you didn't hear him, it's not that he hasn't spoken. It's that you haven't heard. So ask him to help you hear. Let's take a quiet moment to listen. And while you're listening, tell the Lord honestly how you plan to respond.
Lord, you're the best. You make things really clear. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you say and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.